Good day, I'm Anne Dolinchik and you're listening to Anne on Influence. In this episode, we're in conversation with Dr. Doug Mateus and Gordon Miller, aka The Doc and The Guru, both acclaimed marketing professionals. They've been in the industry for decades and share their experience and knowledge with us. This is a two-parter podcast episode because we covered so many topics. In this episode, we touched on the shift over the last couple of years of including psychology in advertising and marketing, in particular behavioral sciences. The importance of making sure your campaign is aligned with your target market and that it's not just you and your team who loves the idea. Knowing how to interpret data being key to insightful campaigns. And of course, we chat about the brands and stars who influence the doc and the guru. Enjoy. If you enjoy listening to Anon Influence and find it insightful or helpful or educational, you will also enjoy our fortnightly newsletter. Sign up at the link in our show notes. This podcast series has been made possible through an exclusive sponsorship from SA's number one nano influencer platform, The Salt. Most brands have a communication line to their existing customers, but not a way to get them to have additional positive brand conversations. The Salt solves the problem by identifying brand fans and getting them to talk more about their positive brand experiences. The Salt have a database of over 140,000 registered brand fans and in-depth information on each to perfectly match your brand to the right influences. Reach out to them now and see what they can do for you. Welcome, Doc. Welcome, Gordon. Thank you so much for making time to be on my podcast today. Guys, if you're not aware yet, Doc and Gordon have got their own podcast called The Doc and the Guru. It's all about marketing, super insightful. So I give it a thumbs up. So please go subscribe and listen to that one as well. So Doc and Gordon, you guys have been in the marketing industry for a very long time, which tells me you obviously really enjoy what you do. So that really made me wonder, really, why are you so passionate about marketing? And let's start with Doc. Can you answer that question? Well, firstly, thanks, Anne, for having us on the show. It's nice for Gordon and I to be on the other side of the camera, so to speak, or other side of the microphone. So, so that's great. Um, I think for me, it's it's been, I guess, you know, even as a kid, I was always drawn to brands. And so, you know, I'd see something, whether it's a car brand or ironically, many cases, a sporting brand. In other words, I'd see a pair of sneakers at a, at a distance and I'd, I'd know the, the not only the type, but, you know, the model name or the model number and so on. So I was always aware of logos. And, and then, you know, as a kid, you also collect certain things along the way. So Coca-Cola, for argument's sake, would have the underliner and it would be like a treasure island. And, and so you get drawn into the collection. And for me, you know, even as an adult, the big attraction was the multifaceted nature of marketing. So in other words, you know, it's not just marketing communications. Obviously, that's the overt part, the tip of the iceberg that people see. But it's all the thinking and, and the planning that goes behind it, specifically when you're running a big campaign. You know, and I've had the benefit and privilege of running some really big integrated campaigns that have so many aspects. And, um, and it's important to not only bring them together, but interesting to see how you bring it together. And the end result then is often a piece of communication that would lead to a purchase or a sale or, or, or so on. So yeah, a long way around, but that's uh, it was ever since I was a kid, I was always attracted to, I think the visual part of marketing. And then later on found out that there were other things that led to the visual part. Yeah, for me, oh, so many things. Are, uh, slightly different approach. I mean, I, you know, I 
studied psychology and English at university, and you know, it was a spectacular lack of thought about the application of poetry <laughs> as, a, as a way of earning a living. So I, I came into it rather through the advertising route. I, I was spectacularly ill-informed about marketing as a discipline. It was only as I grew into the advertising that I began to understand where, where the application is. So for me, it was just a, a chance to behave badly and, and exercise a poet, poetic view of life. And people seemed to give me money for it. So it was, it was really rather enjoyable. But I mean, I think it's come a long way since then. And ironically, what I thought was the poetic lifestyle has, has become more uh, secondary to the, to the psychology aspect of it, because where we're going in media now is behavioral science and looking at attitudinal engagement rather than the number of people who who look, who listen, who, who engage, whatever. So, yeah, it's just um, an eclectic lifestyle, which has really appealed to me and kept me interested for 45 years. That's amazing. And I, I love that you actually brought up the behavioral side of it, because that's exactly where it's all going. We all want to know why people do things. Why do people love a brand? How can we get them more interested? And it's more about the consumer these days, and that's also where it's going, than it is about the product trying to sell. You know, and just, Gordon, if I can, just interestingly, when I was at university 30-odd years ago, the consumer behavior, the discipline, sat within psychology, not within the business faculty, which is quite interesting. So now, you know, I, I serve on, on two university boards. I, I, I kind of do a little bit of part-time facilitation, etc. And, and as recently as last week, I asked the head of the faculty of the one university, I asked her, I said, Nadil, just tell me where does it sit these days? And she said, no, years ago they corrected that and they'd moved consumer behavior. You know, why people do this? What do they do and why do they do it? Into the marketing faculty and the business. But, uh, but again, you know, you can argue it, it, it's a crossover, you know, it's an understanding, Gordon, of, of psychology. And, and, you know, of late, the, I guess, the behavioral science or behavioral economics, and we, and we can touch on that. But I mean, the principle hasn't changed, you know, for, from the start of whenever the start was, making something or offering a service, enticing somebody, finding out if they need that. Uh, and then wrapping it up that they can that they can do it. But I mean, interestingly, that the two. I mean, I just happened to my setup was such that I did subjects in both fields. But I, I always wonder whether somebody chose and didn't do consumer behaviour and yet qualified as a marketer. Got interesting. That is interesting, and I'm glad they corrected that because I did marketing at Barsley as well, and we didn't have the psychology part of it, which is interesting. And now that you mention it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is, and I'm mean, encouraging that at least, you know, from an academic base point of view, uh, what now looks like, and many times things look like common sense after the fact, because everyone's clever after the fact. But I mean, the point is at least now it's corrected. So, you know, hopefully young people coming through and, uh, you know, as part of some curriculum design now, young people coming through have that understanding that marketing isn't about making something, putting a bow around in a laboratory. You've got to drop that into the actual real world and you better understand do people want that thing need that thing how does it look what do they do and so on and so on and so you need that that bridging device 100 percent agree with that so then i also want to know what part of the discipline do you enjoy the most because like you were saying earlier there's so much that goes into that end result but what part of the process do you find the most enjoyable i, I think from from my side i I mean, all of the, I enjoy 
the execution part, in other words, the overt communications part the most. So in other words, whatever shape or form that may take, whether it takes the form these days of a of a of a, a social post or whether it takes the form of a long form television commercial in certain markets where that exists. Ironically, Gordon and I are discussing the other day about, you know, traditional media versus what we've called new media, but in time won't be new media. So I like the I still like the overt visual part, but obviously having worked uh, in, in many organizations, you do appreciate the bits that go in behind it before that. Otherwise, you know, you rush to the answer. Uh, and I guess the earlier days, I, I'd always like to spend time at the agency, rush to the answer, do the flash, sort of flash hairy stuff. Uh, but you need to do the basics. And, you, you know, we'll, we may chat behavioral economics a little bit later, but those are the fundamentals these days that unless you have that proper base, uh, you could end up communicating because you like it, which is exactly often the wrong reason why, you know, people do things, Gordon. You know, yeah. people buy into, you know, they, they drink their own Kool-Aid, they buy into their own campaign, and they love it. And then everyone must love it until the research comes out and, and you know, anyway. I'm sure both of you have sat in boardrooms and there's like 10 people in there and everyone's just like, this is amazing. This is what we're going to do. And you just kind of have to take this in. It's like, have we done any kind of research? Just have some insights. Is this actually true for the people we actually want to reach? Because to your point, we all drink our own Kool-Aid and think it's freaking amazing. Yeah, of mean, course, our work is amazing. Yeah, you like your work for me is actually problematic. I, I, as a benchmark, would want at least one person to be nauseated by it because if if you know, if two people in business constantly agree on everything, one of them is obsolete. Yeah. So you, you, want to, you want to annoy at least one person out of 10. I don't think you can get by. But for me, what you know, I, I, I approach marketing always from the media angle. That's my lens. That's where, where I've been. And as a discipline, what I enjoy is that it's multifaceted. So when I, when I was a child, I, I, I was always fascinated by things called paint by numbers. You've got a little piece of paper with yes. numbers and if you put the right colors on the piece of paper then uh, you know you ended up with the Sistine Chapel which is kind of kind of interesting and I think now uh, media is very research driven and, and we're just churning up millions and millions of bits of data and big data uh, which in and of itself is is incredibly dull but if you apply a creative interpretation to the numbers you can end up looking at a spreadsheet and recognize that it's the Sistine Chapel. So it's that kind of intrigue yeah. for me that, that I enjoy. I, I love the multifaceted nature where it's, numbers are not literal. I mean, media, when I came into the business, one and one equals two. Then, all right, well, that's okay. It's rather dull. But if I discount and I do things properly, then one and one might equal three. But I think more and more we're in the, the business of one and one equals magic, you know, and, and that's the beautiful part. Yes. Uh, the one and the one, the disciplines – have to be mastered numerically, but the magic comes from wherever it comes from. I love that analogy, actually. And I remember paint by numbers. As a child, I did them often. I thought I was such an artist. <laughs> and you realize, no. And that is why you know, some of the worst artists in the world uh, inflict their art upon us because their mothers put their paint by numbers on the fridge and led them to conclude that they were marvelously creative. So, folks, I, please do not put stuff on fridges with fridge magnets it leads to utter despair <laughs> oh that's funny yeah look i wonder if there's any parents out there who has the heart to tell their child no this is going in the bin 
Yeah, but I think just adding, Gordon, to your point about data and whatever shape it takes, whether it's a spreadsheet or a research paper, and, and there's a whole lot of it. It's not about collecting the data. It's the application and the use of the data. You know what I mean? And so often you look at, at and, and I guess that's a skill that comes through training and experience and, and perhaps knowing what to look for, you know, as you say, because life isn't as simple as just painting by numbers these days. There's a lot of another lens of experience and, and, and expertise that comes in. And that's why, you know, many people think they're marketers uh, because they bought a, a pair of sneakers and a pair of jeans, you know, and they think it's as simple as that. Whereas if you look at, you know, Gordon, what you're saying, if you have data and real data, but you actually make the effort to understand the data, because I've also worked in organizations where we were collectors of data, but we were just too lazy to work through the data. But we always felt better because we had a thick report, you know, uh, but the, the work came in, the, 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 the sort of um, grind came in, in going through the work, not the exact summary, going through the work and then coming out with an outcome. And then mm. what are you going to do with this, this report or this set of data? So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as you say, now, hopefully a lot of modern-day marketers, if you look at the intersection of modern-day marketers, of data and big data and science and behavioral economics and psychology and all of those things, there's lots of things on the go. But hopefully now they've taken all of that into a melting pot and can use it for the better, uh, you know, of otherwise don't do the exercise. Otherwise, you end up being a collector. Yeah, and, you know, 100%. And I think yeah. so many organizations are collectors still. And I think part of that problem is you need to know what, what you want solved. What's that question you want to solve? And I think a lot of brands also struggle with what am I actually looking for in the data? Mm -hmm. And that's also the good starting point right there. Just on, on, you know, on, the, on the point of questions, the, you know, what's, what's the question that needs to be answered? Again, for me, is part of the equation. That's the one plus one equals two. If you want to do the one plus one equals magic, then you've got to start interrogating, are you asking the right question? And, and I think we need to spend more time looking at the question itself and say, okay, this is perhaps the wrong question. That was a good question 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's not a good question anymore. And I think that's not enough time is spent on, on articulating or formulating the questions. Mm -hmm. uh, we're spending too much time uh, trying to come up with the correct answer to a given question. So I think, for, again, for me, and if there are, you know, sort of younger listeners, viewers, you know, it's if, if you really speak to my wife, I've, I've been with the same woman for 52 years now, okay? So it's it's very difficult to keep her entertained. And I am, do the same things every day. So I get bored and unmanageable. So I, I, need, to, I need to know that if I go and do something, I'm going to come back out energized, interested, and alert because I'm going to have to, you know, keep her interested and, and alert in me as well. So it cannot, I mean, I think every day when I get it, I think, you know, my creator that I'm not a proctologist because my worldview would need to change. Right? I cannot look at the world through the same lens every day. And that's the beautiful thing about media. If you want the lens to change, join media. Hashtag no filter. That's how this podcast is delivering real down-to-earth stories told by real people. For an influencer campaign that takes brand conversation to everyday real-life situations, go check out thesalt.co.za. They are the undisputed experts in real influencer marketing. That's actually very true. And, and I love that we have to interrogate what those questions are um, to get the different answers to actually solve the right problem. So I absolutely agree with that. 
I think the other side, though, Gordon, and not everybody, and I think your point, Gordon, is valid as maybe as harsh as it sounds to the five-year-old with the coloring in on the, on the fridge. In adult life, too, the, that is true. In other words, not everybody is a marketing magician. Now, just because you've got the job and you've got the accolades and your parents or your spouse told you that doesn't make it so, you know. And so often you need to have that honest view. And it's a tough one because, you know, once you've reached that CMO uh, exec type level, you should have acquired the skills and all the rest of it. But what, often what you're talking about, Gordon, is that, that stardust, that little bit of extra. You know, you take two people, they can have it, whether it's the same set of data, they can look at the same event, they can do whatever they want to do. Uh, and yet the one just constantly outperforms the other because there's some other thing, whether it's the ability to bring the team together. And I say the internal and the external team, you know, bringing the creative guys in, bringing the digital guys, the, P, the old school, what I'd call old school PR, today's transformed, uh, the media guys, that little bit of magic. Sometimes it's that half a question that you've asked or that seed that you've planted, but you must have the innate ability to do that because otherwise you'll be an okay, uh, maybe sometimes a good CMO but you're not going to ever be the top of the pops in, in my view. And I, again, you know, you see that and it's almost one of those, it's like that magic factor, Gordon, you see on the sports field. You know, somebody's just got that X factor uh, and, and, and they just somewhere, when you least expect it, they pull something out of the bag and you say, wow, you know, I can't believe they did it. And, and the, the same is true in business and often it's those margins. You know, you need that marginal gain uh, to, to make the difference. I agree with you. I think some, some people just have an innate ability to, to see things differently to other people and they make amazing marketers. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, just, just to come back to your rugby analogy, and I think you know the beautiful thing about rugby is there's there's room for everybody. You know, I'm, I'm an old front row forward. I mean, quite frankly, the prospect of running 50 meters down the trial line and scoring a try is nauseating. It's not my job. <laughs> And just running in general for me. Bashing into people, you know, was more my thing. But that's the beautiful thing about advertising. There's a role for everybody, you know. Not everybody's got the magic. I mean, I can count on, on one hand the magical people. I've had the privilege of working with people like Robin Putter, mm. um, the late F.K. Miller, you know, who was my mentor. These guys had a, 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 an ability to, to see way beyond my own understanding. That doesn't diminish what I do. I know, and particularly in media, I mean, we, we've always been children of a lesser God. I mean, I know that. It's all about the creative, and, and that's okay. So, you know, just be best in class, you know, even if maybe you're in the B class, that's okay. That doesn't diminish the fact that you came first in the B class. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, Gordon, it's, and, and if I look at media, and you know that, you guys spend all the money, so it's not children of a lesser God. In fact, that's where we all spend the all your money. That's, where, that's the best part about it. Again, you know, the, the thing is, your speciality would be the media strategist, the media planner, the media director, the media whatever. But where the value sits is if you can look up and you can scan that field, you know, and you've got an ability not to go and do the creative necessarily, but have a view on it, provided the culture is right. In other words, Correct. that's what I'm saying about these big campaigns. You know, you're managing egos a lot of the time because the ECD is the ECD. He's not going to be told by the media guy how to make the campaign. That I can tell you. And, and, and so as the client, though, it's a question of bringing everybody in, creating that safety net that you allow people. But it's going to be skills-based. Yeah? No, you can't just start shouting because you've got an opinion. I need to know that when you say something, 
it's based on on something a track record history a success rate something but then i'll say but gordon what is your view on this your your primary job is to scrub it's not yep. to take the drop Correct. kick. So I'm not going to ask you to take Correct. the drop kick, but I'm going to ask you a view. You may just give me one snippet of saying, but you know, in this play, I looked up, there was a slight gap. Do you think you could do that? You know what I mean? And, and, but, but you can't do it because otherwise it becomes opinion-based. Everybody starts shouting about things. And that's often the, the, the criticism of marketing is people start saying, but it's just an opinion. But I'm saying you've got to find the science. But the, the great part of, of encouraging that magic is to ask people to just have an educated view on something yeah. that isn't their core skill. But if they can give me that half a percent, that's often the gain you need. Eh? That's often the yeah. difference. Yeah, but I've, I've managed to annoy pretty much every you know, generation of students <laughs> that I've lectured for the last 50 odd years. Um, um, you know, it's my, my instinct as a, as a school teacher initially, but is to start my lectures by saying, in this class, you're not entitled to your own opinion. What you are entitled to is your own informed opinion. And in media and advertising, the difference between an opinion and an informed uh, opinion is called margin. Okay, if you have an informed opinion, you can charge more for it. It's not just yeah. a nice to have, it yeah. is an actual value based commodity. So stay informed. And coming back to my earlier point, every day um, is yeah, is an opening night. You uh, you've got to start again. It's something new, and you know if you uh, if you always believe that uh, you're going to learn something new tomorrow, you will never be afraid to share what you know today. It's yeah. just that simple. So let's talk influencer marketing, and I'm quite curious to know when did you first become aware of this thing called influencer marketing? Maybe you were on your social media somewhere on a Twitter or Facebook and you saw an influencer talk about something and you thought, geez, this is not just someone talking about a brand. This is kind of marketing. And what kind of format was that? What was your initial thoughts on it? I have a, I don't look at the narrower definition perhaps of influencer marketing being largely in the digital, online, social media type field. You know, I look back at, you know, what is an influencer? A person who's done something or a place or an event that has done something to influence me to think about things differently. Now, it didn't always create a change of behavior. So let me give you a few examples. I mean, just as a, you know, as a, as a young person growing up, uh, even before television, you know, certainly long before the internet and social media, the point of the story is your exposure would be things like cinema, newspapers, outdoor, that type of thing. And I mean, those old Peter Stuyvesant ads of uh, the iconic ads of the 80s. They never changed my behavior to smoke. So in that sense, they failed to transform me as a, as a young adult coming through the system. But I'll tell you what it did do, is it made me want to find out where's Tahiti. Because uh, good-looking people were doing fantastic things in this place called Tahiti. And then there was snow skiing in the Alps. And so it grew a love for me of travel and of looking at the world. And then again, you know, Gordon and I did an episode a few weeks back on, on James Bond and on a museum that was up in the mountains in Austria. And the point with that as well is James Bond was an influencer for me growing up. You know, Gordon, I'd go, you know, those days we'd queue up it was the cinema, the, the holiday season, you know, the July holidays or December holidays, whatever. And and my James Bond, whoever, you know, whichever area you grew up with was Roger Moore. So, so I would not mimic his behavior, but I also wanted the cool gadgets and the car and, and, and 
Certainly James Bond has changed through the years, and we understand that. But those were the things then later on. As an adult, you know, a lot of people who follow sport will remember some iconic images, one of which is John T. Rhodes diving in the 92 <coughs> World Cup, uh, yeah. uh, Gordon. Yeah. Now, that image sparked a lot of kids that you'd hear them, you know, saying, I'm fielding like John T. I'm John T. No, I'm John T. And the point is, that wasn't social media fed. That was a guy trying to run out another guy in the game against Pakistan. And the point of the story is those are the heroes that people grow up with and, and they become influencers. And today, I mean, obviously there are a lot of modern day examples, you know, whether it's scripted reality, reality TV, big names, A-listers, and we can go on to it. So I think my first thing was, you know, I guess in the, in the world of, of an isolated South Africa, uh, magazine heroes uh, and, and yeah, you know, the movies, the cinema, certainly a character like James Bond would be an influencer for me. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it would start with movies as well. But just to comment on the jaunty, uh, the jaunty roads and the guy who ran up was Inzimam Al Hook, yeah. which goes to show that when you're in media, maintaining, you know, sort of or retaining bits of utterly useless information <laughs> um, will eventually pay off. <laughs> so, but yeah, coming back to the cinema, for me uh, as a kid, the very first uh, influencer for me was was James Bond driving an Aston Martin. I yeah. mean, I'd never even seen an Aston Martin until uh, until I saw those movies. So it was really embedded in my consciousness that that was the car to drive. I mean, to this day, I still lie awake at night perspiring intensely at the, <laughs> the sight of James Bond driving a, a Toyota and you only live twice. I haven't really recovered from that. So yeah, Bond for me was the influence. But what I love about that is it's gone beyond uh, that sort of initial cinema. So now we have Bond the Influencer with Heineken Zero, which has embraced all the other platforms. And uh, it's, you know, it's not uncool, you know, to go out and have a Heineken Zero. Mm -hmm. Even on my rugby group, uh, the guys will occasionally allow you to have one. You have more than one, you might be in trouble. But, <laughs> but anyway, I, I love the evolution of the Bond uh, yeah. influencer because it's it's really up to date now. And uh, it's, it would be for me, if you know, if I want to ha have a few beers, but I have to drive home these days. That's, a, that's my number one default. I'm just going to get a pack of Heineken Zeros, and I don't feel like I've compromised my, mm. my macho image at, at the rugby bra. No, and I think all those examples were amazing. And I remember those Peter Stuyvesant ads, and they those guys were just so cool. Yeah. It was like that cool factor just dripped from them. Yeah. But to your point, the evolution of influence marketing, it didn't have a name back then, but we were all influenced by someone or someone we found iconic. And the John T um, example was so poignant as well. I think I was in primary school when that happened. Yeah. And I saw, when you said that, I conjured that image up in my mind. And everyone knew who he was, and he was this amazing hero. So I think that evolution of, we didn't really have a name for it. And back then, brands would kind of attach themselves to these, these iconic heroes, whether they were celebrities, sportsmen, and they would give them a bit of their their product or they want to use it and they put them in ad campaigns and billboards and that was that association of influence marketing my hero is drinking this drink i'm gonna drink it too like james bond yeah. um, and now these days we just have a name for it and we've got all these different iterations of it whether it's a nano influencer like you guys and me just talking to people about things we're really passionate about whether it is those the reality stars whether it's someone that's just got a really good gift at taking a beautiful videos and, and pictures on, on Instagram. That's all that iteration that's now 
I suppose people have an access to to a world of peers these days to be influenced with. Yeah, and I, and I think you, you've talked about you know some of those brands and going back to the eighties for me. Um, you know, Pepsi was at the forefront of of that kind of personality endorsement. So influences there uh, in the initial phase were these superstars, Michael Jackson, Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, all, all those guys were in a different kind of league. I think what's what's interesting now is, as you say, they are nano influences, micro influences. Um, you know, you don't have to be Michael Jackson to have an impact somewhere in a marketing campaign, which I think is really intriguing now. Yeah, Pepsi for me was iconic in those days. I mean, you know, Back to the Future, 1985, yeah, I think yeah. that was, you know, Marty McFly, you yeah. know, couldn't find a Coke. It was all Pepsi. Yeah. So it was so cleverly yeah. embedded into product placement, uh, the influences and, and the mixing of real-life characters yeah. like Shaquille O'Neal with a Marty McFly yeah. in the movie series. Um, fabulous. Pepsi had the privilege of working on Pepsi when they came into South Africa in the 90s, and it was just incredible to see how that... Uh, culture was embedded in the thought process, really innovative. And I think that brings it back to the behavioral sciences, right? Absolutely. We're not only influenced by celebrities or sports stars and movies. We're also influenced by niche experts who's just sharing their, their expertise on social media or in real life. And we're also very much influenced by people we see every day, our family, our friends. We really value their opinions. And I think that's where it's all going it's saying if i want to upgrade my phone i'm going straight to people i know and i'm very close friends with a tech journalist she's usually the first person i dm i'm like i want a new phone which ones do you recommend and i usually go with a recommendation which makes her that niche expert but i'll also ask my family what what experience have i had with this brand yeah so it's all very much evolution and i love it i love this industry i think it's an aggregation you know if you look at you're talking about you know, people who don't walk around with the title saying an influencer. They just your family or your friends or whatever. But you go to them because they've got a specific uh, sort of ability. So for argument's sake, you know, if you look at some of the reality TV programs that are slightly educational or you can get something out of them, you know, things like the cooking programs, MasterChef or My Kitchen Rules or whatever the case may be. Now, I'm not a great watcher of those particular programs, but I can at least accept the fact that you know there's there's a skill there's a recipe sharing there's something and then there's invariably from the television a pull down into digital i can dwell my dwell time's different i can pull down and do stuff so that's you know that to me is 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 quite a valuable way of sharing info as is um in a booking sites and if i look at uh aggregated sites if i want to book a hotel you know i'd probably go into TripAdvisor or or, or booking.com or something. I don't always necessarily choose what, what is there, but at least I give myself the chance of looking at it. And like, I guess many people, but certainly I do, I, I want to buy the messenger before the message. So do I believe these yes. people? Who are these people? I don't know them. I just look at, you know, if you've got three reviews versus 300, you know, excuse me, in terms of, of, of volume, I want to look at the quality, what type of, you know what I mean? And, and so on and so on. So at least now I have the opportunity to be immersed in a world of many different opinions where it's not just George Clooney standing on the lakes of the shores of Lake Coma saying Bind Espresso, which is which is an amazing thing because I would never have thought. Mm-hmm. I'd, 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 I'd be very curious to have seen that pitch, Gordon. Imagine you in the espresso and you pitching to George yeah. Clooney, who doesn't really need the money, <laughs> is standing on the side of the thing. And the ads aren't bad. 
But I mean, the point of the story is, and the influencer, why, why do it? You know what I mean? Like any of these A-grade guys, why, why did you do it? So it'd be interesting. Yeah. But I mean, the point of making and you make is the influencers all around us. It's just a question of how yeah. we absorb it and use yeah, it. I think it's the super influencers that we are more sort of conscious of. But I was just kind of reflect uh, in our discussion on you know some of the the lesser lights. You know, mm. I mean. Dr. Tim Noakes, he's done more for meat consumption than Tyrannosaurus Rex did. I mean, it's like unbelievable. <laughs> um, but you know, to the best of my knowledge, he's not being specifically financed by anybody. So it's, it yeah. intrigues me that one person who is not in the limelight, so to speak, can have the massive impact he's had on dietary practices. Yeah. But I, and I think that to a large degree is the mobility of, of the mobile phone. So. Yeah. In the past, I had to be in the cinema to be influenced or had to be watching television. Now I can just be sitting in a quiet moment, deciding in the restaurant whether to buy a big fat blueberry muffin or a, or a vegan, horrible, skinny thing. I mean, so it's appalling. He's actually ruined my entire sort of spontaneous reaction to food. Sorry on you. That's hilarious. Please. This podcast series has been made possible by The Salt the influencer company that turns influence into affluence. In the same way that information is presented in this podcast in a relatable and authentic way, The Salt gets your customers to tell their real brand stories to their community. Go to thesalt.co.za to learn more about how The Salt can help you grow your business.